Hi, this is John Rossetti, storyboard artist for the Venture Brothers. You're listening to the sounds of cold sargassum in your ear. Hence Light Pirate Radio, which, no matter how you listen, still sounds like cold sargassum. None of this would be happening if you just followed the rules. Hence Light Pirate Radio rules. Oh, hello, I didn't see you there. This is Dr. Thaddeus Rusty Venture, world-renowned super scientist and podcast fan. Please enjoy Hench Life Pirate Radio, wherever you find your podcasts. Have a scientastic day. Are we going to get him back? Does he want to talk about it? He did an internship at a tentacle factory when he was a kid. There was an accident. He doesn't like to talk about it. Dude, I'm going to tell you, there was actually one question, one question only, that I actually have for him. And if I do not get the chance to ask him, I will be so disappointed. Do you know what question I have? It's actually a question I feel like only he could answer. What you got? So far the message isn't sent me, so he might have just lost it there. Uh, my question is, Brock loves the boys. How much? Did he have to murder one of the boys whenever the other one died? <laughs> oh, God, we got to get yeah yeah he might be the only guy who can actually confirm that or at least pass the question up to the right chain to get an answer <laughs> yeah like pretty much yeah it's <laughs> if i don't get to ask this question it's going to be like sitting on a wasabi butt plug all night and just like the wasabi um technical difficulties he's trying to work on it <laughs> all right I believe in him. What questions do you have for him? Really, in terms of prom, uh, it's mostly, now that I kind of understand uh, that it's, you know, this was his first kind of uh, season as a fan. Um, you know, where where did he think things were going when he was working on the show versus how they panned out through that season and yeah. tied up, you know? Um you know, stuff along those lines. Yeah, my whole line of questioning got complete. I don't know why, but in my head, I haven't tracked this one before. So I thought we were covering his last one. Um, but definitely the, the fan perspective is awesome. Yeah. Um, Dude, I had somebody like, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've dipped my toe back into Facebook and I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> I've gotten back into like Venture Brothers groups. <laughs> And like, it is hideous. Like, is it tedious or hideous? Both. It's hideous. I said tedious, but we can go with hideous. Uh, no, yeah. So there's like this whole thing of this weirdness about like scare bear posts, right? That goes on and off every so often and that annoys people. But then like, I'm noticing as like the Rick and Morty fan base get bored and they rediscover Venture Brothers, kind of they're, they're hopping over and bringing some of that, like, fuck you, I'm Pickle Rick to it all. <laughs> like, there was a post and it was, it's actually really cool. 
the world's largest ruby apparently has been uh, sculpted into a quote-unquote ice cream cone. It's it, it's really like the poop, but they put like a, you know, put it on a cone. And uh, this was commissioned by Mark Mothersbaugh, right, of, of Devo fame, of so yeah, much he more. The, uh, he also did the Rugrats theme. And the Thor 4 score and sliders and... Wait, did you say the Thor 4 score from seven years ago? <laughs> and Ragnarok. He did Ragnarok. He's doing Thor 4. Uh, that was a good joke. I feel like... <laughs> Thank you. That was Thank you. I'll be here all night. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's done an incredible amount of stuff. And so it was like, oh, yeah, man, like, Diva wasn't even the coolest thing this guy did. He was like, yeah, it's a cool story, bro, whatever. We know you're cool. I'm like, what? Like, I'm not trying to, like, this isn't a flex. This is a learning opportunity, dickbag. Like, <laughs> that was perfect dickbag usage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm honestly glad I got out of a lot of the Facebook crap. I, I just try and follow general, like, nerd-ish type things that keep me, like, in the loop of what's basically fan theory uh, as everything drops. Uh, but past that, the hardcore real groups, I'm just trying to stay out of because it, it they're toxic. Facebook in general is just toxic. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. what your thing is to get into Facebook. Once you get there, it's all toxic. Like... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm really, like, I'm noticing that. It takes a thing I really like and makes me hate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a Star Trek shitposting group that I'm in. That used to be a lot of fun. But now it's basically just, like, uber progressives gloating about driving conservatives out of the group. Uh, and, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I love a good arching as much as the next guy. But, like, come on. You know, at some point, like, when do you become the thing you hate? Uh, then there's, like, you know, the Zen groups I'm in, and that's, like, all homework. <laughs> and let me tell you, nothing is weirder than getting arched in a Zen group. <laughs> oh, dude, I do that shit all the time. There are people that actually walk around in this world openly claiming to be enlightened. Oh? Do you know, as somebody who that is, like, hard... arching. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I totally, like, do the whole, like, Christian, I mean, I'm from the South, so of course, I have to go to the Christian playbook here. I start whipping out Buddhist Sutra on, like, you know, uh, be a lantern unto yourself, you know, and all this shit, like, yeah, fuck you and your so-called enlightenment, get out of here, Fred. Yeah, I name dropped somebody personally. <laughs> Fucking into macrobiotics in goddamn Colorado. What? Yeah. <laughs> His whole thing is he's enlightened and he didn't have to do any of the hard work and I should feel silly and everybody else doing the hard work of meditation and, and practice should feel silly for that shit because basically you can just have a macrobiotic diet and be enlightened. Now, I'm not knocking the benefits of macrobiotics. Clearly that's healthier than what the fuck I'm doing. But <laughs> I don't think you know, out of 2,500 years of distillation, you know, uh, that's the core principle of Buddhism is like, get your fucking gut biome in order. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it would have saved, uh, would have saved Buddha's life. Yeah, dude died from like eating, pork. and it's either pork or uh, I forget what the other big one is, um, mushrooms. 
like it was either like rancid pork or poisonous mushroom. It wasn't a wasabi butt plug. And we're back. How's it going, John? <laughs> on these days i just finished up um sketch card job for tops uh on the mars attacks property uh did 50 of those that was a hell of a lot of work <laughs> and, and now i'm uh just moving on to a couple of different things just uh samples for new jobs and stuff like that and a couple of personal projects so we'll see what uh what comes of that i gotta tell you man it was one of the things that blew my mind uh i forget which series it was but did did you ever collect like the comic book cards back in the day anybody mm-hmm. oh yeah i had yeah. a ton of the the marvel ones yeah like marvel marvel had the best dc not so much right and but marvel ended up with like a ton of them and there was yeah. an entire series. I don't think it was the Mar- – it may have been the original Marvel masterpiece, but they gave the Hildebrandt brothers all right. of them, right. <laughs> like, which was right. like 150 cards, like, right. and they were all like fully painted. Right. The first, like, oh, the, first, the first Marvel masterpiece they did, it was, it was Joe Jusco. Yeah. Who did all the, all the cards. Yeah. Um, and those were amazing. And then the Hildebrands did a, a series after that. So it was Joe Jusco or Jusco? Yeah. He Dude, did those the, were outstanding. I literally have them right over there on my bookshelf. I should have yeah, walked over. He did the first, book. yeah, he did the first masterpiece series. Uh, Dude, those were glorious. And they had that were, like, that like candy finish, that candy coat uh, finish on top of the cards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were beautiful. Um, but the the cards like the marvel like series one two and three like those had a big part of like getting me like into comics getting me like into the characters and like getting me like into drawing because oh yeah you know, there's such like nice little shots of the characters. They're like really easy to like try to copy like those shots as opposed to like flipping through the comics looking for like a good shot. You just flip through your cards and you're like copying every pose you can find. And then you're yeah. learning about like all these new characters and stuff like 
who the heck is the fool killer and the sin yeah. eater and <laughs> yes. like all these weird obscure characters slapstick and dark hawk and sleepwalker <laughs> um, no i mean that that's uh that's actually how i discovered the x-men uh bathing suit annual <laughs> <laughs> like when they would do the uh and that was, was actually what heavily pulled me in because i got those cards around the same time of like the, the x-men series was running right yeah uh so you know not only were they doing the uh you know the, the swimsuit cards were obviously kind of a cheeky thing but they also did like a a series of like the the softball cards right. you know and the softball game you know, the intramural game is always like a big X-Men tradition. Yeah. I was very happy to see, uh, you know, like Hickman bring that back in the new run. Yeah. 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 I think it's kind of, it's kind of funny how um, the way things come around and uh, just the way the climate is about general, you know, objectification and, and, sexualization of the characters and stuff and then, and then we like look back at the history and we're just like yeah you know like these like annual swimsuit issues like used to be a thing <laughs> and they don't really like do that anymore <laughs> well, uh, let me be honest you don't need to rule 34 yeah well uh, i mean well and i mean uh was it there's a red sonia movie coming out yeah, yeah. i saw that yeah, I mean, uh, kind of, if you don't really know a whole lot about the, you know, comic book world, and I, I can't say I've read more than like an issue or two of Red Sonia, but like outside of knowing kind of the, the publication history and where it fits into that world, like on the surface, that and like Vampirella look like those kind of sexploitation titles. Right. But it, when you like see that, you know, those characters have passed through hands, like, you know Kelly Sue DeConnick, or Kelly Sue DeConnick, and uh, you know Gail Simone and stuff like that. It's like, well, if these ladies are writing, clearly they they put a lot of substance into it, and it's not just the you know one piece battle bathing suit here. I, I, I'd like to point out that you just said that it's okay as long as women are drawing them for sex. No, <laughs> I'm exactly saying they probably said, put. Which is, it, what you're saying is that no male writer had ever tried to develop those characters into something more than a sex symbol. I, I, I just, <laughs> please continue. I just wanted to point out the subtext of what you just said. Oh, no, no, no subtext there. That, that's totally, you just reading shit to be offended uh, because that, that's a fun thing to do. I do it all the time too. But like, please tell me more about your autobiography as a black man. It's called my autoerotic asphyxiatoriography bingo right so yeah it's one of those like yeah sure guys can try to put uh you know stuff into it and that's fine but as a dude we can only project so much of the the female experience and shit some of those dudes might have even gotten it right again i've, I've read two fucking issues of like that yeah. comic book and i've read zero vampirella i own a copy <laughs> i didn't <laughs> like, even read it I, yeah, I did, yeah. that was literally the book i bought to not read the articles well, when you do comic books, I mean... But to, Bar to Brandon's point is is that, like, he didn't just pick two women out of the hat. Like, yeah. those, are, those are two women who have a reputation for the quality and the substance of their writing. Absolutely. Well, and you know, one of the things I think, Beast, to your point more explicitly, and I don't think that you're far off target here, um, I forget who it was. Who was on the uh, the Power Girl run uh, within the past couple of years? 
and uh you know obviously power girl well known for her um uh, chest, chest window yes and <laughs> like one of the things that, uh, that they actually had to do she originally had the superman logo and she ripped it off saying i shouldn't have this until i'm worthy of having my own symbol and that was how it explained that and all of a sudden the window isn't just some like you know hey we need we need young boys to buy comic books it's there yeah. for a reason now, obviously, you can retcon the hell out of it, and it works quite effectively. But, you know, again, putting that type of material in the hands of someone, pardon the pun, who knows what to do with it, is uh, certainly a better way to develop the property. Which <laughs> leads me to a question that I have wanted to ask you for a week. John. Yeah. Venture Brothers comic book. Yeah. Who writes it? Who draws it? <laughs> I think probably everybody on the show, like that's worked on the show, like wants to like write and draw it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a I think an anthology would be pretty awesome. Uh, but jeez, uh, who writes it? Like, uh, like if it, if it like like if we just dismiss the idea of like people who are actually involved with it and just like you know like think of like uh people who are like doing comics that like people are familiar with um there's a guy uh who's got some like there's a lot of guys who got like really cool sort of retro styles but i remember one year I was tabling at a convention and I was going to be next to somebody and I never heard of him. So I looked him up and at this point he's, he's rather popular. His name is, uh, I want to say the pronunciation, it's Joe Quinos. Um, but when I looked him up, he had a drawing on his portfolio uh, of the, of uh, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. And I was like, Ooh, he's a fan and he's good. Like, that's cool. I can't wait to meet this guy. Um, and he's done a lot of good stuff at Marvel now uh, since then. This, this was years ago. I, and, um, you know, a lot of comedy stuff. I think he's worked with guys like Chip Zarsky and uh, Zeb Wells and, like, some of those guys who do, like, you know, some of the, some of the funny books. Zabrowski could he, – he's one of those few guys who could actually, I think, maybe write and draw – a venture comic pretty successfully. Yeah. Um, Nick Dragota might be like a good artist for it. He's, um, you know, guys like Mike Allred. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we don't say that name here. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> no, uh, I, I love Mike Allred. Three times. <laughs> it's funny. It's like you said, Rob Liefeld. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I was waiting i was waiting for that to pop out there i was like what if we had an entire venture brothers series with no feet oh uh, <laughs> no uh mike allred his uh run on silver surfer was great and silver surfer black um my pitch was uh silver surfer black was um trad moore Oh, he was the guy who did the art for that? Yeah, Allred did the Silver Surfer ongoing series with, okay. with Dan Slott, and, and Trad Moore did a miniseries, Silver Surfer Black, which was trippy as hell. Really fucking cool. It really is. 
Yeah, I was actually, uh, I got to tell you, I didn't read Silver Surfer Black, so I just popped it in, was taking a look at it, and there are, like, this owes a whole lot to acid and mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he read a lot of Doctor Strange growing up. Uh, yeah. Well, and apparently this tied it to heavily, like, a, a precursor into the one event that just finished up the King and Black stuff, um, which was kind of about the, the symbiote god Null. Yeah, Silver Surfer swallowed up by Null's darkness. <laughs> the Silver Surfer's pow's power cosmic is hopelessly drained, turning his body black piece by piece. Piece by piece. I'm looking up. Donny Cates could actually, I think he could, like, he did, that's not his usual brand of humor. He would be somebody who could do a Brock comic very well. In fact, I mean, he did. He did a great Venom comic. Mm. Um, but he could do a a straight up like you know brock solo missions like you see those episodes where he's like you know doing the the mission to find hunter or he's going camping and comes yeah. across like steve like donnie cates could do like the the brock issue actually you know what if i, if I were going to give tarantino any part of this i'd give him steve austin and sasquatch in the woods because you know it would be three and a half hours punctuated by moments of extreme brutality like or the uh, the one french dude uh or like the the three hitmen that came in for uh the family that slays together yeah like no 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 he's gonna want the bigfoot this is tarantino come on now <laughs> like oh he's like the batman so cool oh yeah dude dude i love that uh, actually you know what would be great do you remember that French film from probably 20 years ago? It's called Le Pacte Le Lou, The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if he made a uh, like a, a kung fu flick set in revolutionary France. Like I, I feel like that in and of it. Oh, Vod, you've never seen it. No. Dude. Well, it's okay, amazing. Uh, to his credit, okay. it's about French people. So he was immediately like, mm. turned off. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Bod, when you turn your nose up at them, it's so supercilious. It's just so ingrained. I can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> it took me forever to get around the French bread, man. <laughs> oh, right. I can't even pronounce mayonnaise. <laughs> I was okay with French fries when I found out the real truth, though. They're from Brussels. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but no, Kung Fu French. This yeah. sounds like Tarantino, like, uh, all it, over. It, it, it's excellent. Like, it, it, in fact, it is in many ways like a precursor to every Snyder film you've ever seen. Hmm. There is a lot of super slow motion rain. Oh, then yeah. Like it was yeah. the crow before the crow, if I remember correctly. Let me no, this did not. I'm, movie did I'm not sending come you a link to this. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I'm sending you a link to this Miss Doctor, Mrs. The Monarch drawing that I'm talking about that Joe Quinos did. Oh, the Patelou is 2001, oh, yeah. so it's like six years after. Oh, I'm actually cool. very familiar with uh, Joe Quinones. Yeah, Joe Quinones. Yeah, it's it awesome. Quinones. I would love to see him do a Venture Brothers comic book like that. Beautiful. <laughs> I think, uh, who is it? Erica Harrison, or no, uh, Erica Henderson, Squirrel Girl? Uh, yeah. Well, um, I think she could do like a fun helper comic. That's funny you should say that. Did you know that she interned there 
uh, when I was there? No. No. I know. Yeah. I remember Andy Wu uh, was a, a Matt artist um, on the show from time to time. And okay. she did one of my favorite titles, uh, the, the Matt Fraction run on Hawkeye. Okay. Um, and I mean, I'm not I, familiar. I'm not familiar with her. Uh, she was a storyboard artist for Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, she must have been after my three seasons. I, I want to say so. Like it was, uh, she, and she also did background mats. Um, yeah. But no, she did the, uh, so like when Matt Fraction did his Hawkeye run, it was uh, with David Aja, who could yeah. also do a, a, I think he could do a mainline venture comic, like the whole family. Um, yeah. But like I was, when they found out that they were switching artists, I was like, "Who are they going to have follow that up?" And it was her, and it was phenomenal. Like it was a, it was a very West Coast like you know feeling to his work. Right, right. And apparently that's the run that they're doing uh, the new Hawkeye series coming out. Like, because that whole series was about him handing over Hawkeye to, to Kate Bishop while he got his life together. Right. I think that's overrated getting your life together absolutely i spent all of 2020 not getting my life together and it worked out just fine uh yeah no man i mean the, the one of the things zen has taught me is uh stop trying to get shit together you won't <laughs> get entrapped by entropy that sounds like the uh is that, that like, like a like a kind of a stoicism or kind of thing or it's just like just don't do it <laughs> Do you like, see this world around you? Reach out your hands and don't. <laughs> there is no spoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we have brought you on, John, our favorite Venture Brothers comic book artist who has appeared on our show and is doing so again out of the kindness of your heart to discuss what is quite possibly the greatest Venture Brothers episode of all time. At the very least, the episode in which the single greatest joke the Venture Brothers ever made appeared. And the single greatest single scene ever in the history of the show involving the USS Indianapolis. (laughs) So I know that uh, Vaude and Beast are going to have a whole lot of stuff to ask you as well. But before we kind of dive into that, let's take a moment and refresh our listeners with exactly why we have turned to you and your expertise to help us explore what makes the Venture Brothers so dynamic, so unique, and why your suggestions might carry a little bit more weight than some might think. So could you give us a little background into what makes John Rossetti such a dynamo of venture knowledge. Sure. Um, I worked on the show as a storyboard artist, seasons one through three. So um, one of the things that's kind of exciting for me with this episode uh, and season four is I I kind of got to sit back and enjoy this from a fan perspective um, and see it all kind of unfold on television for the first time, as opposed to, you know, getting as much of the behind the scenes look as I did on the other episodes. But um, 
you know, it's still just, uh, it's just too much fun. <laughs> it's just too much fun knowing, knowing uh, what I know about everybody involved in the show and, um, you know, watching uh watching everything unfold like i said it's just uh too funny so. now the episode that we are referring to is the final episode of season four operation mm -hmm. prom right. it is a long episode uh it clocks in at around 45 minutes or so uh which is twice the length plus a little of a regular episode so that means with commercial breaks, we're looking at around an hour. And this episode blew me away the first time I saw it. And we are bringing you in today to talk about your perspectives on the episode and some questions that only you can answer. First and foremost, a question only you can answer. I sure hope I don't let you down. This is, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> Where are the bodies buried? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, in the venture compound. Why? In Potter's Field. With the rest of the clones. Yes. So, the thing that made season four so unique, and the thing that makes Prom such a quintessential episode, is that it is where pretty much all the major storylines from the previous three, really four seasons, are wrapped up and we get launched into a brave new world of the Ventureverse. And I imagine in some ways it was both, you know, really touching for you to be able to enjoy this as a fan. And at the same time, a little bittersweet because this thing that had been such a big part of your life for so long is now headed in a brand new direction. So if you could give us some of your insights into the final episode of season four, Operation Prom, and what it was that made that episode such a standout for you. Um, well, like you said, uh, a lot of the storylines coming together, um, you know, for me, Brock's storyline is so important and his relationship to the family and his relationship with Hank. And um, just how much like, I love what I love about this season, especially like, so I was re-watching parts of this season today, a um, couple of the first few episodes and then, and then this episode as well. And like that whole like idea of him leaving and like, Hank's mad about it and you can just see like how much he's trying to like play it off like I'm quitting the job and you know I don't want to be involved and like you just know like how much he loves the boys and especially Hank and just watching that whole like emotional like aspect of it unfold and like you said like before I think before this show came out like I don't there weren't a lot of if any like animated shows with like a really true ongoing plot that like wasn't an anime 
you know, that was an American produced show, and especially an adult show. Um, you know, so much, so much episodic, like even like, um, like a Batman, the animated series or whatever, like it had some threads, but it didn't have like the kind of continuity and like real um, like storylines that were interwoven with each other the way the Venture Brothers does. So I think that that at the time really made this show special and, and to see that, like you said, come together um, and to see like where the characters were developing, you know, uh, and all these characters kind of coming together, like Hunter, uh, Molotov. Um, you get like, you get the entire triad into the picture. You get Pete. Oh, yeah. You got conjectural technologies. You got the triad, the modern yeah. appearance. Like everybody's there. Yeah. You even get Princess Tiny Feet yeah. coming back. You know, and you get a few few jokes at her expense, which are just. Uh, did you say jokes or chokes? <laughs> both, both, both. You know, that was actually one of the saddest things for me was uh, after prom. That relationship still didn't work out. Like you know, that all tied up really nicely for hatred. It was like sweet. Oh. No. <laughs> not, still not enough tying up. Apparently. No. No. He's got to so, get that Japanese rope game up, like that that army hammer, whatever that called? guy's on. <laughs> what's it called? Shibasari, Shimari, Shibaru, Shibari. Shibaru, Shib Shib yeah, something along those Shimu. lines. Yeah. Shamu. Shamu Shibari. <laughs> the Japanese art of light seafood bondage. <laughs> Isn't that what sushi is? <laughs> it can be. In the right hands. Can be. <laughs> Beast, are we gonna flip on the camera one day? We're gonna see uh we're gonna see Audrey Hartburn back there rolling you in a giant like wrap of rice and kale. Oh no, 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 no. Nothing so gauche or family double dare. No, uh <laughs> you see that table there over here on this side? I would be naked, laid out, and sushi would be like laid out on me. But see, here's the thing is I'm a hairy dude. So we'd have to like wax a strip like of edible area so you don't get hair in your. We're gonna call it. It's not a landing strip. It's a racing stripe. <laughs> it's a dining area. <laughs> not waxing. I'm setting the table. <laughs> we we tried using wax. It didn't work. We had to go straight up napalm to defoliate. Yeah, I don't uh, know why she wants to keep the wasabi as a butt plug, but oh, probably I, I'm sure you've earned it. Oh, so, by the way, like that's a that's a thing. Google that on your own time. Wasabi butt plugs. I lost John. <laughs> that straight up made <laughs> we hit that moment. And he was like, "Nope, I am off like a prom dress." Ah oh, man. Because I was going to throw that into my rusty picture. <laughs> Let me see what happened there. <laughs> John, do you want to talk about it? Uh-oh. 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 We got no audio. Oh, no.
Oh. Or did he get bit by a mime? <laughs> <laughs> a radioactive mime. <laughs> Don't look at the mime. That's <laughs> what it wants. <laughs> It's what gives it its power. Yeah, don't do it. John, how we doing? If that finger would have popped up with a white glove, I'd have died. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening! <laughs> I love the idea of the radioactive mime. Like, maybe that's where the silence comes from. <laughs> Just when we thought you understood Doctor Who, you clearly did not. Ah oh, man, I'm actually, I think I'm teetering about, like teetering going down that uh, audio drama hole, man. And there's so much like Doctor Who audio drama to go through. <laughs> can you hear me now? There yes. we go. Yes, right. we can. The All My right. Antidote worked. The mime antidote. Stay away from Florida, bro. Especially not <laughs> Miami. No. Next um, time. I have, my, my mammy. I have I have black glove. <laughs> <laughs> this is my this is my artist smudge guard. No, that is your oh, go cool. venture like commemorative uh, like always V neck. <laughs> That reminds me. Here, I'll make you. That that reminds me. uh, I'm gonna make you guys jealous. Hold on. Venture Brothers. Oh, what? Crew jacket. Oh. Track jacket. Do you even row, bro? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. That's, that was one of our Christmas presents from, from Jackson. That's really that's pretty nice. slick. Yeah, we got we got that, and we have I got a black hoodie too. Especially for the shows, the the, the amount of official merchandise is like uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. so tough to find anything official. I was I was amazed at. Um, when they started doing that t-shirt of the week club and I was like jealous of my own, like one of my best buddies who was like part of it and getting the shirts. And like, I wasn't like, I didn't have like the cash to like do it. And at that point I wasn't part of the show or anything. And I was just like, Oh, these shirts are awesome. I don't have any of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Feel bad. I, mean, man. I don't so, have a shirt either. So, <laughs> Well, and they uh, average for like 50 bucks on eBay. I bet. I don't doubt that at all. So when I uh, got booted off, uh, Beast was naked on the table with sushi. <laughs> oh, so you didn't even hear the wasabi butt plug thing. Uh, well, I came back in and I heard something about wasabi butt plug. Got it. Well, that's actually where we left off. So it's, uh, it's really important that you come back where we left off is that a rusty venture uh the wasabi <laughs> butt plug no not yet that's actually called the uh that's called the emerald adventure uh, <laughs> oh no uh, uh a rusty the, uh, use the ginger who's the the ninja that's, guy that's from the, the call that's called the spice road <laughs> right. 
<laughs> who is the uh the ninja from uh terrible secret of turtle bay <laughs> uh Mr. Sensari. Yes. yeah there you go there you that go. is the otaku uh, Sensari. yeah but you have to get it out with a vacuum cleaner <laughs> so uh john there is a question that we have been debating off and on um beast is a master at debating it in fact um and I master was a good movie on. what's that i often master debate myself i said beast, i said Beastmaster was a good movie when i was a kid it still so is the here's third what one was got. the best one we have a question that only you can help us answer all right what's the question when one of the boys died yeah. did brock have to kill the other one so that they could be recloned at the same age It probably <laughs> after all the kind words you had to say about Brock loving those boys, you're like, sure, of course he'd murder the other one. I mean, he knew. He knew what was going on. I mean, you know, and it's funny you bring this up. Uh, this is actually something that's happening in the new X Men run. Uh, right, they're doing right. a series called Way of X, where basically the X-Men are like hip to the new, uh, you know, regeneration thing on Krakoa. Right. right. So it's basically the same premise where they're all like going kind of ethically willy nilly. Every mission can be a suicide mission if you're going to be cloned out of a, you know, bio egg or you know what the hell ever they're doing. Right. So yeah. it's kind of, I'm sure from Brock's perspective, it's the same thing. It's like, well, Dean's going to grow like a weed, and then I have to explain why Hank is six inches too short whenever I could just snap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, the, you know, what I mentioned with regards to season four, too, was important because we did, we did wipe out all the clones at the end of season three, you know, with, uh, in that in that big battle when, when hatred marches the army out yeah <laughs> and, and then the, the monarchs leaves yeah the monarchs death head panoply like <laughs> yeah mows down all the uh the leftover clones and stuff so you know i think he knows at that point like that's that that he uh <laughs> that they may that may be the last. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love what Doc Venture says says to Hank. He's like, "Your safety net is gone." And he's yeah. like, "I know Brock isn't here." He's like, "That's not what I meant." Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, so you're of the opinion that Brock would totally have murdered one of the boys? You know, I don't. I don't know because I like. I don't think Brock. Wait, 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 wait. Let, 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 let me paint the scene. Hank is in his Batman costume. Well, he, yeah. He goes on top of the roof. He jumps and then he dies. D I mean, does I, he just I, get I up and go kill that. Dean? I I did a storyboard of that <laughs> scene with him with the umbrella, and you know we had a couple of those kinds of of cutaways and stuff, and I yeah I think that. Um, I think if they can, I think as long as as the other brother wasn't aware, 
you know, as long as Dean like didn't know that Hank like fell off and they were able to like revive D Hank and get him caught up and then get him back out in time, then then they would be fine. But if they couldn't do that, then they would have to take them both out. And, so, and, so it's a and, scheduling issue. And regrow them. <laughs> it's it's a yeah, it's it's um well, it's a matter of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we'll go with scheduling for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much where we where that that's really the only question, burning question that I had in my heart for you. Yeah which was, I couldn't think of who else might be able to answer this question with any sense of, I, I don't want to say uh, like uh, canon, but if no other aspect than just outright intent. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm kind of like, refreshing my memory on because like so much of it I just it's been so long and you know like uh, the these podcast visits have, have inspired me to like catch back up and everything so you know I've been making my way through the first few seasons again and um and especially the last couple seasons where I wasn't involved with the show and seeing them on TV. I, um, I hadn't revisited them since they aired for a lot of the episodes. So getting a chance to watch them again is, is kind of like the first time I've done it in a while. Yeah. Or like if I did watch it again, like, um, you know, it was only like one more time. So yeah it's like it's kind of giving me another ch chance to really like all right i know the fans are really passionate and they have like a lot of theories and a lot of a lot of questions and a lot of things they're trying to put together like let me actually like get my brain into this and see what see what knowing what i know and 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 see what i actually like have can figure out <laughs> uh their intentions were you know so, so okay, wait. You kind of led well. you let you, you you led perfectly into that. So we know that the the writing on the show, for the most part, was very tight between the two main. Yeah. Now that you're looking at the season where you are now, finally going from kind of in house, but sort of waiting to see what fell out. Was there anything in season four uh, leading into the final and everything where you had been waiting for something while you were working on it, and you finally saw it come up? Um, or just an idea that you heard getting bounced around. Was there was was there something that showed up in season four where you were like, oh, they finally got to that. They finally made a, a spot for that to work. Hmm. Or is it just so secretive that everything was sort of a surprise, even in house? I mean, I, I mean, one thing was certainly. Um, certainly with Dermot, like getting like a little more attention, um, I thought was, was good. And, um, Oh, I'm 
sorry. I, I had a little bit of a, a light bulb, right? So okay. Kermit's a half venture. Yeah. Monarch. Sure. Yeah. Right. Monarch also half venture. Is there something about half ventures that are like inherently like heels in life? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, I, maybe, maybe that's why it's important that both Jonas and Doc were horrible fathers. Because if you treat any of them well, they turn into unstoppable demiurges. Whereas if you don't nurture them at all, they turn into heels. But if you give them just the right amount of neglect, then they turn into functioning adults. <laughs> is, they're, at uh, least trying, they're at least trying to get their father's approval yeah uh, I would love to write the like Jonas Venture Guide to Parenting <laughs> I feel like that would be the last, like alright so how to properly neglect your children <laughs> you just made me think to myself that Hugh Hefner already wrote it and then I just got really sad for whoever his kids were oh, <laughs> yeah I mean, I was going to say, do you think Hugh Hefner had like a death ray? But I mean, you damn well better believe he did. He was Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except it took a few years for the doctors to catch it. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah, I don't even know why I'm getting sad. Yeah. Like, I remember when Hugh Hefner died. I mean, okay, you know, I do because Playboy like had like legit articles. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk wrote a ton for Playboy. Hunter S. Thompson. Shel Silverstein wrote yeah. Adventures in Boobland. I mean... Yeah. Hi, I'm Lisa Hammer from the Venture Brothers. I play Triana. And if I'm listening to pirate radio, it's only Hench Life pirate radio. I will listen to nothing else. It was the only show I listened to. All the other ones are just trash. Hey kids! Are you ready to take an adventure on the high seas of breakfast? We have the only seas that matter. Color, corn byproducts, and candy. I want some gas station sushi for breakfast. Stop right there, son. This cereal is slightly better than that. Try new Pirate Crunch. It's filled with everything that makes your long car ride better for dad. Flavored with sweet, sweet trank and vitamin K, enough to take you straight to the K-hole. For breakfast, are you a kid or a kid at heart? Or maybe you have an orphan heart in your pleasure can. Tired of eating sargassum and cod liver spots? Does Alpha Dog give you a wee bit of an Oedipus complex? Try Pirate Crunch or your father will never approve of your lifestyle choices. So apparently Playboy went through this phase where they uh, decided to pull most of the nudity out and the editor of Playboy says that the effect of 14-year-old me is so disappointed in 35-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs>
14 year old me just quit and went to work for Hustler. It, right. <laughs> well, and of course, all of this aside, you know, it does bring us back to the the primary question that we need to answer during this interview, John, which is what did it for you with Operation Prom? What did it for me? What did it for you? Now, I'm it. It, it, it. So what did it for you? Like, for instance, obviously, having watched uh, the entire four season as a fan, did you feel like prom was the culmination that it, you had hoped it would be? Were there things that you felt like were uh, missed opportunities? Or did you feel like it was, as I believe, a veritable apotheosis of everything that made the Venture Brothers the Venture Brothers. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to talk about the Rusty Venture and the continued discussion around what that is or was meant to be and everybody's different ideas about it. And just how far they went with the descriptions. <laughs> and everybody had a different description that was quite, quite vivid. Well, you even know what with, the Rusty Venture is. Even with the bleeping. Yeah. <laughs> like, on a comedic level, the Rusty Venture is the aristocrats. It is. It, it works on the same premise. As long as you stay in universe right and run that joke like inside joke with another it's almost like a a handshake mm. and then you learn a lot about that person oh, I, I thought, I thought after the handshake was when you ate what was on his chest <laughs> and then you eat your way out of the kiddie pool <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh dude and, then... and uh Orpheus being shocked as a dad about that was just the best. Like, oh no, and he's a little tipsy. It's like, what are they teaching my kids over there? You know, knowing damn well what they get up to at Halloween. Yeah, right. I loved, I loved, I loved Orpheus getting a little drunk. Like him, him, like <laughs> I, I loved. What was it that that Doctor Venture put? in the drink at first like some awful yeah, yeah. And schnapps. it's like at first like he's putting in awful stuff it's just like so rusty to just put in something awful yeah you, you know what's gonna make this fruit punch better <laughs> lots of creme de mint and and then, then, what was it uh jefferson twilight puts in the sambuca yeah, yeah so he's like sambuca and they're like put it in <laughs> yeah that was that was great I love that. Baba um, OJ. When was the last time you got had to think about Baba OJ? <laughs> uh, can we like so without getting too in the weeds with this? <laughs> at no point have you heard our show? At no point did we just like at, the fact that that's how that entire ghost arc wraps up is with the realization that Mr. Wendell is still alive. <laughs> Yeah, no. He's um, standing right there. It was very Orb. The same way they ended up kind of wrapping up Orb in the, you know, kind of pseudo uh, MacGuffin, um, vaguely anime-ish plot, right? 
but then like the the ghost plot wraps up the same way like you know it wasn't it wasn't ghost with patrick swayze it was fight club with ed norton (laughs) right yeah yeah which makes the love scene around the pottery wheel even weirder (laughs) yeah yeah so this is me kind of teeing up what might be uh something we end up bickering about more when we do the uh the long version of this but uh what was your take on the pulp song at the end what was my take on it yeah how did how, how did it hit you because uh, it just it, it it sort of ended the whole thing it had a very uh pace building uh very venture brothers yeah i mean when I, when I was watching it today because like i said i hadn't I hadn't watched the episode in a while and I was, I was watching it today and, and I heard when that cut in and I was just like, yeah, I mean, my, my only thought was immediately like, all right, I know, I know that that's something, I don't know what it is. I didn't know who it was. Um, but I'm like, yeah, this, this is just like them to, you know, cut, cut some cool song into it that I'm sure you know has uh some significance to it and i'm like i gotta i gotta go back here and maybe take a take a closer listen to to the song and and uh and whatnot but um you know beyond that like yeah i wasn't familiar enough with the song for it to like particularly strike a chord see i've heard other than like it just has that right it has that feel of like I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like that. It's just got that right tone that that Venture Brothers had. Um, that, that their music has when they do that kind of thing. For me, it's that one shot uh, kind of in the buildup where they hit the dance room and you see the one guy from uh, Sphinx like skanking on the dance floor. Yeah. Bam. That's Venture Brothers in a frame. <laughs> right. My favorite, the the thing that made me think that they actually picked that song was there's one line right as Brock is like running. He's hopped off the conjectural cycle and is running in. And as you kind of get that wide shot going up and uh, that's when in the line it says, you're lucky I'm that we're still friends. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it right there. Like, all this craziness, all this insanity. You're lucky that we're still friends. <laughs> I love, I love how like the Spanish fly kicks in, and <laughs> all, all the hookers are starting to mutate, and all that stuff. And there's just like just crazy Brock violence starting to go down, and it's like. Just, so we, sex they, worker insurance has to be crazy in the ventureverse, huh? Oh God. They actually weren't sex workers. The that that was Blackhearts. Well, but no, you still have to think. Okay, those were spies, fine. But like, you know, in terms of professional brothels and stuff in the ventureverse, like this is still a ventureverse with science. This is a possibility. Like, okay, no, no, no. None of your weird, like Cronenberg stuff all right tonight like we're not doing that like I draw the line at like blood poop 
radioactive materials, uh, <laughs> you know, like the list of don'ts on that. <laughs> oh man, not gonna touch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. See, here's the thing: you live in Vegas. You should know. I mean, I get it. You you have like you know misses the villain, so you don't like go touring the brothels. Uh, as, as one more time not a frequenter no <laughs> no right like you know but i just imagine they like hand you a booklet on here's how legal prostitution works you know here's a condom have a great day really they're, they're gonna hand you a booklet you think they're gonna show up with reading material they're like by the way i'm gonna hear the terms and conditions i need you to initial here right yeah I mean, yeah. you can get that information, but it's those are the type of flyers that you like get like at the courthouse. <laughs> you know, like when you go there for like housing court, and they like they've had those like, you know, flyers of like these are your like rights as a tenant. It's like that <laughs> those kind of flyers, or it's like these know are your rights as a John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like know your prostitution laws, like. Uh. It's like, well, uh, I've, I've been I've been in this position before and I better stay out of this next time. Like, see what I can do. So uh, I want to back up just a sec. I'm going to read you the entire last verse of that Like a Friend song. You ready? And okay. this is exactly why they picked this. You're the last drink I never should have drunk. You're the body hidden in the trunk. You're the habit I can't seem to kick. You are the my secrets on the front page every week. You are the car I never should have bought. You are the train I never should have caught. You are the cut that makes me hide my face. You are the party that makes me feel my age. And like a car crash, I can see, but I just can't avoid. Like a plane I've been told I never should board. Like a film that's so bad, but I gotta stay till the end. Let me tell you now, it's lucky for you that we're friends. It'd be a pretty bad situation, I think, if they weren't friends. You know, to be on the to be on the receiving end of, of Brock's uh well and I gotta tell madness. you we have that we have Brock framed as the narrator while this is happening. Right. Well, bear in mind, Brock is set up as the narrator of this song as it's playing out. Right. Right. And then Brock, you know, is excited that no one's dead. And then kind of sadly puts his knife away. And then when does Brock get happy? When Brock goes murdering. When Brock goes a murdering. And does Brock get to go a murdering? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he does. And I gotta tell you, there was a little bit of uh there was a little bit of 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 question mark there. Like, was he gonna make it back in time? Like, is this how it all goes out? <laughs> they set it up very well. They did indeed. Well, and I definitely think this was a um, one of those supernatural situations, like the TV show. Like, all right, we uh, made it to season five. We have written this far. We are going to write an ending that's going to wrap most things up. So if we don't come back, cool. Right. You know, that's what bugs me about it. If they would have ended this show with a non-JG Thurwell amped up ending to a season and it was just this i mean like okay so we've i'm now hearing the lyrics i'm like i get it 
but this was what you were going to give me as the final moments possibly of Venture Brothers ever was just some bizarre music video-y kind of cut. Like, this, it didn't feel Venture Brothers to me. Like, there was just something missing. And every time I watch it, it comes up and I'm like, it's done well. It looks good. It tracks. But just that gnawing feeling in the back of my head where I was like, they were okay with this being the last moments of the show. Like, this is what's going to stick You're saying that they, it it was not, I guess, John, you may answer this, but like, they weren't sure they were getting a season five? I want to say that they always planned on never getting really a next season after a certain point you kind of almost can tell with the way they end each one it sort of has just as much of a question mark finality that the last one we've so far gotten they all have that momentary bit where you're just sort of like well and that i mean the boys die at the end of the first season well that was the end of the venture brothers they're dead um you know each season has a moment where you kind of hit a beat where you're just sort of like and that's it and every one of them i'm okay with but this one, now having all the seasons, I can go back each one of them. This is the one where I'm like, if they would have ended here, it doesn't feel like a Venture Brothers ending to me. There, It feels like the network got involved and was like, throw a song in there. Like it just had a little vibe of, it's not the first time they've had an outside of JG piece, but it just was like, really? In the, the penultimate okay. moment of possibly the whole entire thing, you're going to I would agree, uh, except for how obscure and post-punk the song is. That's what's always like, given me to the way I can get through it. Like, it's palatable. Of, of Doc and Jackson is like, you know, this is clearly like 80s, like coming of age in like, you know, New York in like 89. Uh, it, it, it was a 4 a.m. agreement is what it felt like to me. They were locked in a room with the the network and they were like, this is what we're willing to give you. Dude, this is as mainstream as you're going to get. no <laughs> way a network exec picked this song. I think it's the agreement over a, like an original orchestra piece by JG. This was as far as they were willing. We'll give you a piece by an actual pre-existing artist. That's This, this was the compromise. It always right. just... It, it, it felt a little we got money in the budget like it always it felt like there was an extra reason behind it that just hit me wrong do you remember them talking about the season two opener about how much yep. of their budget they blew on everyone's free everybody's yep. free like they didn't leave a whole lot of money for everything like we spent so much we had to cheap out on the rest of it like there is no way that they like, all right, you know what? Why are we even arguing this point when there's literally a man right here who can answer with intent experience in mind? Yeah, I wasn't there for, for season four, like I said, but I yeah. don't remember any point in the three seasons I was there where there was very much network mandate for anything of that nature of like, we need a song or we need a this or we need a that. Um, that doesn't sound like the way that relationship went. <laughs> Plus, let's be perfectly honest. There is nothing about a Venture other, a Brothers tie-in that will sell anything for you unless <laughs> yeah. it is an HBO Max subscription because they're going to give us season eight. In which case, that is the one time a tie-in is going to work. 
Yeah, I mean, they were they were pretty hands off, you know. They let them they let those guys do do their thing, you know, when they let them rusty venture all over the from place. from what I remember when you know it was when Mike Lazlo was there at Cartoon Network and he was just you know, he was just letting them do what they what they did and really There, if anything, there was some stuff that, like, the legal department, like, was involved with, which, <laughs> which is just, like, normal, you know, like, normal, normal production stuff where a legal department always has to go over episodes and, and watch out for, <laughs> no, like, no, your like, honor. Mis- uh- well they watch out for likenesses and and rights you know especially with a parody show you know you're watching out for likenesses and copyrights and trademark infringements and And yet david bowie made it through yeah you do it just right (laughs) (laughs) well then yeah like you know that was their big hurry to kill them off apparently was like the the quaking fear with like the longer they got away with it i want to see the legal definition of a rusty venture right like pass that through like legal like all right, right. uh so like i work legally speaking what is a rusty venture and they're like oh oh okay here's what a rusty and they just keep giving different definitions to the lawyer Dude, you yeah. can't you can't tell me that lawyers don't have a separate like property version of a rusty venture <laughs> like you know these big city firms there's a guy sitting in a room who's got like the folder and like whenever the circumstances are just right, like no, 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 we're giving this dude a rusty venture, and mm-hmm. it's like a series of papers and countersuits and like expert witnesses that get yanked out at the last moment. So back and forth, they turn red. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like for example, when I was working on our cartoon president, and. You know, you're able to do a lot of parody with political figures, you know, because of, you know, where they, where they are as a public figure, you know, but you're, there, there are limits to what you can say um, and, and suggest uh, on a legal level. So we had done an episode that was sort of a flashback to sort of an 80s, you know, style John Hughes movie type of thing. And so when we when we ended it, the episode, it had that um, that kind of cliche ending where it paused on everybody and it had that sort of, you know, caption of like, where are they now? And like, so-and-so, you know, it, this is where they are. Oh, the, uh, the Animal House ending. You know, yeah, and we tried to, and we had done this thing where like basically all of Trump's cabinet was in jail. Like everybody was in jail and like legal came back and it's like, you can't do that. Like you can't insinuate that everybody's guilty. Um, you know, like it's just too, it's, there's just too much, um, you know, there's just too much legal like stuff going on and you just can't like, they're too close to being pronounced guilty to call them. <laughs> right, right. And then, then they may not be, and you can't like suggest that that they are and, and, and all that stuff. And so we had to change the way that that 
you know, was was played out. Um, so if they were so like the people. David Bowie, so like the David Bowie thing, it's like you could you could maybe show him and have somebody doing a parody of his voice, but nobody's going to turn around and think that he's actually the sovereign of a fictional you know guild of calamitous intent like it's not going to have any implications in his real life that are going to suggest something that you know might lead to you know people being suspect you know you know say that if this were the 80s and he were still like in his cocaine like like the late 70s early 80s and he were still in his cocaine fueled like magical uh uh rivalry with robert plant yes i think he would be like what are you telling people about me right now uh where he was later on in life like if if he ever watched venture brothers and actually happened to catch it he'd be like yeah that's cool you know <laughs> like yeah hell yeah i was a villain like why not um they were very disappointed they were very disappointed when he turned because they actually reached out to him to do the role and he turned it down so cool. and um and then they were very disappointed to find out that he had uh that he had taken a role on like in the spongebob movie and, and been like why why did he take that and not ours <laughs> you know and it's just like it's like one of those things where it's like this is, what hap- this is what happens when you have kids and grandchildren you end up doing like stuff for them instead of for yourself yeah i was about to say is it actually kind of still awesome to get a rejection letter from bowie but then when you follow it up with he said yes to the spongebob guys i was like ah, i can't <laughs> no, i guess not <laughs> next time i see tom kenny i'm poking him right in the eye like which happens a lot on my tv actually so <laughs> right <laughs> So we're definitely we're we're in the SpongeBob phase at at home, and uh, here's the thing about it though: it wasn't as bad as I remember SpongeBob being because now they have all these really awesome like. I think there's like a web series video where basically the cast gets together and talks about some of their favorite segments. So you get like Clancy Brown doing Mr. Krabs. That's kind of cool. Yeah, like, and you get to see, like, you know, them do kind of their, their, like, voices live and stuff. And when you appreciate that kind of stuff, it's neat. And, I mean, anytime you get a little Clancy Brown in your life, I mean, who doesn't love, like, Red Death? Like. Dave Kilsuck. <laughs> Steven Dave Kilsuck. Uh, he's too good. He's too funny. I've been focusing way too much on the early seasons for all this stuff. I haven't watched any of the later stuff for a while. I got to go back and do that again. <laughs> well, no, that's just one of my, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes because they're parodying the scene from Jaws. <laughs> um, and that's like, you know, Jaws is, is it was one of episode. my episode. Yeah. Like the whole episode, oh. like all homage to Jaws. Oh. The, the scraping the nails on the board, the everything, like. Squeezing <laughs> <laughs> the cup. <laughs> Oh, and then like was it the the one bad guy with the screwdriver hands? Like they they put like somebody like a a more yeah got that there blue morpho see like 
phantom limbs dressed like the mayor of Amityville. <laughs> So, John, as we are kind of like doing our retrospective on, you know, really the first half of the Venture Brothers, you know, was there anything that you felt like this episode had resolved for you or did you feel uh, let or had left unresolved in a way that made you feel like, you know, again, you were just ready for season five? Or did you feel like this was the natural culmination and if they'd ended it here, it would have been just fine? Well, like one thing I really was interested in and, you know, maybe part of it is just, I don't know how I felt at the time, but part of it, you know, now kind of knowing where things go. Um, it's just like knowing where like the boys kind of grow into from here, especially Dean and like, you know, his relationship with Triana and kind of like the turn it takes during the episode and also like earlier episodes in the season where, um, you know, his, his dad is trying to like get him to be the scientist and everything and um yeah just sort of setting up like that turn where he like later wants to like go off to college and like be his own guy you know um i think similarly with with hank um and some of the stuff he's doing with Dermot and, and things like. <laughs> oh no, he's he's ready to have a mature relationship with yeah. a male lady. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. was hysterical, dude! My favorite part of that whole scene is: isn't it time the kids met your new beau? <laughs> oh, dude, and new Hank, new Hank cusses. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. I, I I love that new Hank comes with automatic yellow like like sawtooth bubble like new hank <laughs> yeah we really didn't cover that episode yet <laughs> um, so, yeah yeah I, I i like i like i like dean in this episode a lot like, <laughs> and i like I and i love the callback to when he um when he knocked when he knocked Dermot out, like Dermot still tries to act cool and tough, and it's like you get your ass kicked by Dean. <laughs> right. Well, and like this is where you finally see Dean, I don't know, uh mature in a very like specific arc like hank's kind of been just getting there out of like curiosity he's ready to get out there and go do brock stuff right right like whereas you know dean's being kind of disabused of some idealisms yeah. you know he, he's you know becoming the the emo kid for a few seasons and like the whole thing at the end with like the <laughs> dressing like a ghost and like doing oh the like you know, oh my just god <laughs> Dean, what are you doing son i think it was a wise man it's like you know he's doing the 
the whole thing like yeah i think it was somebody like baba oj you know you can never step foot in the same river twice mm-hmm. and that's when dean finally has his like yeah, fuck you like yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> by the way uh and actually i want savage to kind of explain this here a little bit more it, it, the stepping foot in the no man can step foot in the same river twice is actually a little bit more complicated than it sounds it's heraclitus yes so like essentially what he says is yeah. you can never set foot in the same river twice because the river is always flowing thus it's yeah. never the same river no matter when you put your feet in, your feet into it Right. You literally will never touch the same part of water. Now, I get it as the way Dean reads. It's like, yeah, of course, I can turn around and go back anytime I want. What the fuck is this about? <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those, uh, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous. But then once you kind of get the context, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, that makes that makes more sense. Yeah. So even though we can never step into the same river twice, we have double dipped with John Rossetti. And but did John, you dab? What's that? Did you dab? Dab. dab. Did you dab, bro? <laughs> Stop <laughs> saying dab. I really wouldn't recommend double dipping after a rusty venture. No, no. Uh, Pop quiz, though. One final question. Who do you think was more likely to win the uh, Rusty Venture bet? Was it Shoreleave or The Alchemist? (laughs) Uh, I I, I was going to say The Alchemist, probably. I I would agree. I mean, he is one dirty motherfucker. What is your preferred definition of the Rusty Venture? I mean, I, I'm, I'm inclined to, to say that the most likely answer is, is the one that, Rock, that Brock gives because oh. it's, it's, it's the most appropriate to the sadness that is our, our favorite doctor. <laughs> you know, the, the loneliness and the sadness of it all. Um, it's just very, uh, it's very apropos to, to, uh, yeah, I, I, I have to go with that one. I'm inclined, but, I, I'm inclined to believe uh, Brock's version as well, but uh, I, I truly feel like there were, I, I just, I love that it's where, like Colonel Gentleman, for instance, claims that he invented it which is even weirder. <laughs> well, okay. What we also find out, and we don't actually touch on a lot, <laughs> is that like the Rusty guy just described the double frogman. Yeah. <laughs> well, you find out, uh, you know, Rusty uh, because of the cartoon had become like an icon in the gay the, icon. <laughs> yeah, gay icon in like the the LGBT you know community and. Um, he was very unaware of that. So I imagine there's probably a few versions of a Rusty Venture. Right. Um, in, in, in terms of like, I would totally believe that uh, Colonel Gentleman is at a party in like the Haight-Ashbury, uh, you know, 
uh, at a rusty themed, you know, party, like a rusty venture themed party and hits it off totally like hits on a bunch of dudes like, oh, yeah, I'm from the fucking cartoon. Right. And then that's where he invents the rusty venture. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am inclined. Like the Brock version feels like the correct version because it is pathetic enough to be named after Doc. I actually have objections to that also. The one key element missing in Brock's version is the transmogrification body horror element. Okay, so we have the Spanish fly incident, we have the caterpillar incident, right? Anytime Rusty gets too horny, something transforms into something Kafka-esque. <laughs> <laughs> so a Rusty Venture would have him trying to like enlarge his penis, but turn it into like a lamprey or some such. <laughs> and then having to strangle it with your bare hands so that it doesn't kill you, which in turn <laughs> makes it cough something up. And then you have to clean that up without your kids finding out. That's the rusty venture. Bingo. Yeah. When but when you have lamprey dick or hagfish dick. You know, or some such like, you know, it turns into like a proboscis. Like, you know, let let your imagination run wild into all the, the weird kind shit. of the human centipede situation. Right. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Well, uh, obviously, we are really excited about covering prom next week. And we just wanted to make sure that we took this opportunity to run through your best guesses about what a Rusty Venture truly was. Do you have anything that you would like to add for your best, worst Rusty Venture definition? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, no, the show. Just, I, I just, <laughs> You're sitting in front of a computer. Just open your browser history. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. I'll have so. you know that <laughs> I have a oh. clean browser history, sir. No. <laughs> on the computer in this room <laughs> this is my workstation computer that computer however the, the, the prayer closet that's different i think i may have given that computer chlamydia <laughs> i think i may have given that computer chlamydia uh, i don't know i i, I just uh, I may have to get back to you on that one. A gentleman never asks. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and Colonel Gentleman always tells. Colonel Gentleman, on the other hand, fair enough. Into his memoirs. A gentleman never asks, but Colonel Gentleman always tells. No, we actually, we were working on a, a, a sketch, like a bit for a while, and we never found a place to really give it a home. But like for a hot minute, me and Vod were writing Colonel Gentleman lists oh, and right. Colonel Gentleman like that. diary entries. Yeah, but it just yeah, never found a home. Yeah. The little what bit that could Colonel Gentleman list. 
Like we, we didn't get a chance to talk about Misha. Misha. In the Indian you had a whole you had a whole subtext like the whole sub story thing. I remember what it, it was like a all gay submarine or something that he was on. I can't remember what you you had something for it. You had a story. Oh no, arc. it was not a gay submarine. Uh, no, it was the the it would delivered a nuclear payload during like the atomic war. In fact, it delivered the bombs that dropped on Hiroshima. It got bombed by a tornado or a tornado by a torpedo. There we go. Uh, and uh, sank, but because it was radio silent, nobody knew to go looking for them, so they spent like 11 days in the shark-infested waters. Uh, Now, again, writing the Colonel Gentleman episodes, like, I did come up with an idea for one, and suffice to say, like, I I don't want to give you too many of the details because they they are awful, but this is the same mind that gave you, like, you know, the crime procedural uh, search and seizure, which uh, everybody in the, the chat group knows about, which I will also further not explain because apparently it was a terrible joke. Um, but I have awful premises that nobody should trust me with. I'm concerned about that, the, double, the double meaning of seizure and, and how that, that episode could, could play out. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not imagining a procedural where somebody like checks out the crime scene and and then proceeds to have a seizure at oh man you're pretty close at okay every so... instant at every instance no no it's about an epileptic who yeah. specializes in manhunts yeah okay yeah right 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 so and I think an right. epileptic detective would be actually like a an interesting you know, experience on screen, and you don't have to write the whole thing like it's a, you know, a damn punchline and joke. But you know, give it a Brooklyn Nine Nine treatment, like ride the fine line between like you know, good-hearted, sincere humor, and like you know, really getting to the the core of like what that experience is. That, you know, something what Brooklyn Nine Nine does very well. Uh, but I, I just I, I come up with these terrible premises for things and. Uh, that's probably on the softer end of the scale. <laughs> probably a good thing at going through that that Zen uh, situation. So, <laughs> trying to uh, experience the Zen life uh, after all that. Yeah, you know, uh, mostly what I find is because the whole idea is, um, and I don't like to put frills on it. So you sit and you stare at a fucking wall. And then you try to tell your thoughts to, you know, go away in a sense. You kind of let them go. But then you start noticing what kind of weird-ass thoughts you have. Search and seizure was a meditation thought. Mm. Like, the shower thoughts that you get where it's like, oh, that's dumb and funny. Now they happen in the daytime for like 20 minutes straight. <laughs> Twice a day. Like, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna end this with uh earlier this week we had a dog who was having seizures at work and uh we stopped it by giving it valium rectally um <laughs> and good night and good night <laughs> the aristocrats <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. What with for what was 
easily one of the weirdest is are we going to go go team valium now <laughs> go team valium no <laughs> i know where it goes <laughs> oh, man. well john thank you very much for joining us truly a pleasure as always we definitely appreciate it and we hope that you will join us if not with your presence then with your ears for next week's very special nine-hour episode about prom. Oh, boy. Sounds fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you, John. All right. Have a good night. Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Lamode. Professor Brock Savage and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Mode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod and go team venture. <laughs> <laughs>